Welcome, welcome everyone to another episode on the Prismatic Academy podcast. I'm Chrissy Marie, and today I got to chat with the wonderful romance novelist, Robin Austin Reed. I love this convo because it explores a topic that we are all familiar with, attracted to, and are motivated and inspired by, but perhaps don't spend enough time cultivating or nurturing in our lives. I'm talking about romance. More specifically, erotic romance. In our conversation, we explore the questions of what it would look like to live a romantic life. What if having romance was something we took accountability for instead of waiting on or expecting it from someone else? What if we actually gave ourselves the gift of all that we deeply desire? And perhaps more importantly, what does it even mean to live a romantic life? Well, you're about to find out. So with that, let's get right into it. Here's episode 19, Exploring Erotic Expectations with Robin Austin Reed. Maybe let's get into um, some warm-up questions because I know it's definitely helpful for me, so I hope it's helpful for you. Um, but I saw on your Instagram page, and you even mentioned that you love to travel, so I was wondering what your favorite place, um, favorite places that you've been. Mm, uh, well, I'm, a, I'm definitely a Europe guy, so mm-hmm. uh, I love France and Italy. Um, you know, Paris is obviously iconic, mm-hmm. uh, but, but getting off of the beaten trails and, and doing a, you know, get, get, get a URL pass, right? Get a URL pass. It's so inexpensive, uh, sleeper cabin. Um, I've probably had the best experiences there, mm-hmm. um, being able to meet locals and in Europe is, is such a, uh, it's just a, a mixing pot, right? It's just a, a mixed soup of, of so many different people and cultures. Um, but I, I love it there the most. Mm. Is there anything specific that draws you to Paris? Is it like an energetic thing or the food or? Well, the, the food is, is remarkable. Um, a lot of, lot of writers go to Paris for inspiration, mm. novelists. So, <laughs> If you if you love fiction and just really good writing, mm-hmm. it's a breeding place for artists, sculptures, writers. Uh, you know, America. Everything, anything that's old in America is a hundred years. Mm-hmm. But in places like Paris and, and Europe and France, something old is a thousand, two thousand, three thousand years. So mm-hmm. uh, that culture just seems to bring me alive. Um, the more I travel, the more I get on a plane, the more I talk to someone I don't know, uh, the more my heart tends to open and my creativity just flourishes. And generally, I just become a better person. I'm more tolerant, uh, more loving, uh, connect better to others. Um, just overall, it just, it, it, it's just, yeah, it, gosh, it's the definition of happiness for me. Mm. I love that so much. That's very beautiful. Um, well, okay, so going there for novelists and writing, how long have you been a writer, and what inspired that? I've been a writer most of my life. Um, I got into it quite a bit, about 10 years ago, and then it became a cathartic experience, which I don't, I don't think that's uncommon. Speaking to a lot of writers, it, it starts off as, you know, everybody wants to write a book, uh, <laughs> And when I really talk to them, it's not the second sentence before they say my story. Mm-hmm. Those two words, my story. But oh, okay. You don't want to be a writer. You want to write a memoir. Mm-hmm. Well, and then they 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 have all and go back and forth. And well, and I think I was probably the same way. Um, I was. I think I had grown by my experiences. Um, some of those experiences I kind of survived, mm-hmm. uh, which is, again, not uncommon, I think, really just on a human level, 
we all have a story, we all have, have some type of tragedy or, or epic tale that in our mind is highly fascinating and will help the world. And I hear it so much that I'm a little, I'm a little sarcastic about it, quite <laughs> frankly. But, but because I, because I'm, I'm a crafter, right? Mm-hmm. I, I embrace the craft of writing. Uh, but I would tell you, anybody that wants to write a book, um, please do it. It'll change you. Mm. It changed me. Because uh, you're putting something out there that you can't get back. You can't delete it. It's, 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 it's just it's always out there. So it, it changes you on a public persona kind of level. It changes you. This is an older word. This is an overused word, but it changes you energetically. Right. Your, your, your vibration changes. You just be like, holy crap, I just put something out there that anybody can read. Mm-hmm. And I can't stop them. And I don't know what they think. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's, that, it's that coming face to face with the worst evil that every human eventually has to champion. And that is what do other people think of me? <laughs> I totally agree with that. Yeah, my world changed when I started sharing my story and putting my writings out there and in the most beautiful ways, too, because, you know, you're vulnerable and you allow people to connect with you and really... um, For sure. And social media makes that easy. Mm -hmm. Anybody could jump on Facebook and start writing cathartically. And I think that's where it begins because you get it. You tap into your deepest self. You tap into your expression. You find your voice. Mm-hmm. And it's not till you write your first million words mm-hmm. till you begin to start moving to a rhythm, mm-hmm. and it becomes something that's oh, this is cliche, but it's birthed from you mm-hmm. versus something that uh, I think the worst writing ever is when a writer is writing something hoping that the reader will love it. Mm, yeah, writing for right? somebody else. That, that's like mm-hmm. dating some here. And this is the this is part of that intersection between romance and relationships. It's, it's like, have you ever dated a guy who wants to make you happy or is, is uh, trying to please you? Mm-hmm. You know, you call that guy nice, right? You've, you've, you've been on a date with this guy, correct? Mm-hmm. You personally? Yeah. Like, oh, that's Chrissy nice. Asked. <laughs> Chrissy asked. And you call this guy nice. Oh, he was a nice guy. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you ghost him or you never call him back. My friend zone. <laughs> you, you, you put him in the friend zone. A strong friend um, zone game. <laughs> because there's no danger to it. There's no real to it. He, uh, it's, it's, it's low-level manipulation. Mm. It's not honest because he's performing. And when they do this too, um, and I've, I've done it, um, we like somebody or we want to be happy or mm-hmm. we want to please someone and, and maybe uh, that, that comes from a, a good place. But it, it goes back to that expression, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, I don't care about your intentions. Mm-hmm. I, care about, I care about how are you showing up in the world? Right, and so when a writer can begin writing a tale that will take someone through an experience that they otherwise couldn't have, without getting on a plane, a train, without without an element of physical danger that that actual travel represents, mm-hmm. and they can they can read something on a digital device or in a paperback form, or now in Audible, I do all mediums. Mm-hmm. Um, um, it it well, you can capture someone's attention like that in a world where we're attention poor, right? Yes. There, there's so many other options a reader has over your book, over my book, right? Right. From social media to movies to I mean YouTube. I mean, there's just they can dial anything they want up on their cell phone, on these smartphones, and. To move in, to move out of cathartic writing and the book, it, it, you could jump on social media and it's USA Times bestseller, New York Times bestselling author, and you hear all this and it's a speaker and it's a coach. And that's great. I don't, I don't 
begrudge that person. I do make fun of them a little bit. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, uh, and because they published one book. Right. And, you know, right? I... They published one book. Yes. And, you know, I really, I liked what you mentioned about, you know, the people, the people pleaser and the being nice. And I love, I like this topic because I think a lot of people don't realize, you know, their motivation behind why they do that and what is unattractive about it. And it's, at least from my experience, you know, the nice guy or the people pleaser, the person, you know, just willing to do everything for you without having a sense of self, ultimately feels like they want something from you, you know? And I think a lot of people are just they, tired of like people would, wanting something from which you. Which would be and I'm start to, to jump in. You're you're, mm-hmm. you're spot on, Christy. Mm-hmm. And it's okay wanting something from someone, but they're doing it dishonestly. Mm-hmm. It's like the first time, um, as you know, I've, I've done a little dating coaching, mm-hmm. not really relationship coaching, mm-hmm. more dating coaching. Most of it has either been with uh, guys that, by the way, are not ugly. Mm-hmm. It is primarily guys that have confidence issues. And the confidence issues came from uh, a, a typically a dominant relationship with the mother, right? Mm-hmm. Where the father was a peacekeeper and, and um, kind of quote unquote perceived as weak. The mother wore the pants in the family. And he saw that, oh, to make your woman happy or to have a good relationship, you need to make your woman happy. Like that was, that was the thing. Mm-hmm. And, and I was raised like this. My father was very valiant. He was chivalrous. He was a ladies' man. Um, my mother was extremely controlling, very dominant. Um, um, and if you didn't, and very conditional in her love, God bless her, you know, mm-hmm. and just that's, that's just the way she loved. And what, 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 what bursts from that is men that have, have need the need to, or get to do powerful work in their identities and their confidence. And my relationships in my dating life was doomed until I jumped into that. Yeah. So what, now what did that look like? Go ahead. What did that look like, that transition period when you had that realization of, you know, what was occurring in, in your in your romance space and in your dating life? Well, it was scary. Um, <laughs> you know, the, the immediate thought is, oh, something's wrong with me. Mm-hmm. Well, girls don't like me. And then my friends would be like, Robin, you're handsome. You know, you're mm-hmm. not defective. Mm-hmm. You know, and then they start listing off, and this is what happens over and over and over. They start listing off these things of external items, things outside of myself, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and your friends, maybe maybe your friends have done this to, to prompt you up, right? Mm-hmm. God bless our friends, right? They're so loyal. Um, they say things like you're handsome or you make good money or you have a good job or you drive a nice car or you have a nice house. You know, you work out, you're mm-hmm. funny. And, you know, we start listing all these things that is more human doing versus human being. Mm-hmm. And so my cathartic writing was burst in that place, which truthfully it was painful, and it was I struggled with depression in it. I just struggled, I struggled with some alcohol abuse. Um, I could even say that I probably struggled with some sexual addiction, and that, mm-hmm. by the way, that shows up in many, many different forms. Mm-hmm. So for the listener, um, they probably just got an image, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's pornography. Oh, it's it's this, or oh, it's escorts. No, no, no. That has a lot of different faces, mm-hmm. um, but I, it was it was it's the struggle in identity because I was identified with what I did, not who I was. Therefore, cathartic writing is birthed. Now that's one form of it. Mm-hmm. Other people do cathartic writing because they experienced one tragic event. We see this a lot in uh, this latest round of Navy SEALs. Um, selling book on Amazon right now. He was a Navy SEAL that went through boot camp three times, right? David, mm-hmm. uh, David somebody. Um, but it's, it's, it's amazing. Um, 
when when cathartic writing can go towards uh, can go more towards the art of storytelling, and that's how it looked for me. I started cathartic writing about my story, about experiences. Uh, I felt certain openings to God, certain certain downloads and inclinations I was getting, uh, dreams, access to my prayers. Uh, I started a deep, deep dive into uh, spiritual practices, uh, you name it, I did it. Mm -hmm. Um, And for the next eight years, I realized because of people's feedback, that they were getting healing through the writing. Right. So I developed an interest in the craft and then became an actual writer. Mm. I love that. And you know, I definitely would recommend people to at least try this process. You know, you don't have to be a great writer, but just putting your thoughts down and having that time for some honest introspect with yourself is really, really powerful. And you know, you don't always have to share that, but I've, I've found, at least personally, that when you do share that, when you do share those honest parts of you, that, one, people respond well to it, and two, you're, you realize that you're not as isolated in those thoughts, feelings, and experiences as you felt that you were. Mm-hmm. For sure. I think that's probably the second, uh, the second grand mm-hmm. lie that we all learn is what you're touching on is that we're alone, mm-hmm. right? We're, we're, we're terminally unique. Uh, we're alone. We're different than others, mm-hmm. right? We want to be normal, right? Normal is a setting on the dryer. Right. Um, and <laughs> when you can break free, when someone can break free of that, I broke free of that, and it still haunts me. It's a dragon. Mm-hmm. It's that. It's that desire to be known. And anybody listening can say, "Oh, that's not really important." I say. It's extremely important, and so much so that it falls under the under the uh, the subcategory of belonging, which Maslow's hierarchy of needs: right, mm-hmm. food, shelter, clothing, belonging. Perfect. Yeah, that's that's when we really unpack that 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 a baby, a newborn baby, can die from not being cuddled. Right, from not being physically right. touched. Yeah. That's, that's, that's eye-opening. So anyway, we're all over the map here, Chrissy. Which I, I know, love. that's it. I um, love it. But I mean, I love it because it's all it's also interrelated, right? So I, I love that we're building the story of what you're actually doing. So yes, like you write about romance, which I love because I feel like you don't see too many men like really working in that space. It seems very, you know, like a female-dominated space for a lot of... Um, when it comes to like authorship and novelist. So oh, sure. what what prompted you to really just go go in that direction knowing that that's something that you wanted to explore and get intimate with? Mm. Yeah. Um yeah, funny story. Uh it, I tell it often. I it was in twenty sixteen. Uh I was fairly new to San Diego. I'd just gone through a a um pretty big um, kind of dark night of the soul, right? Mm-hmm. It was kind of an awakening. It was a healing. I, I had, uh, had like struggled with depression and had found a new level of, of being um, in 2015. And when I was done with that, I moved to San Diego in 2016. So I had this mm-hmm. newness about me. I was excited. I'd come to San Diego from Austin, Texas, finally on the West Coast. I loved the California vibe. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I jumped on a dating app. And I started meeting people and had some great experiences. One woman, um, we were scheduled to meet. And about two days before the date, she messaged me and said, hey, um, I can't keep the date because somebody that I'd previously met, we've really fallen for each other and we decided to date exclusively. So Mm -hmm. I I don't feel of integrity keeping the date. I said, oh, well, first off, thank you. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm so happy that you found someone. Um, By the way... I see that you're a writer. Would you like to just meet up as writer friends? And by the way, writers tend to be, you know, pretty introverted, you know, <laughs> lonely people. So when someone, when, when, when two writers can, can meet up, it's just, it's very rewarding. She replies, she goes, I love that. Thank you very much. I definitely would have. So we met down in La Jolla, became instant friends, and she was a romance writer. 
And I, at the time, was a nonfiction writer, mainly self-personal development. I'd written a style guide, um, a book on the art of touching a woman, just kind of some 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 highbrow type things, Mm -hmm. uh, a little edgy. A book on healing your heart. Again, my journey, right? but I really wanted to get into novels, but I didn't know how. She says, well, I'm a romance writer. She told me what she had made in the past, kind of the ups and downs, the whole journey. She says, by the way, the Romance Writers Academy, or I'm sorry, Romance Writers of America is a, is a group, the largest romance group in the world, I think. Um, you need to join them, and they're having their annual conference here in San Diego this summer. It was in the same city that I just moved to. I know. I was like, uh, okay. So I went. I was one of maybe 15, 20 guys in the whole place, and there was close to 4,000 women there. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I went thinking, oh, this could be kind of cool, you know, uh, female-dominated kind of industry. I'm going to stand out. So, you know, I like to dress nice. So I you know, put on my suit. I got my, you know, I had my laptop with me. And I was like, all right, check this out. They did not, they looked at me. They did not see a man. They just saw, they were just like, hey. But they did not care. They were what? like, we are all about developing characters, mm-hmm. getting them on paper, and then selling that book. I mean, these women were hardcore business people. About the business of writing, and I was blown away. The conference was probably the most organized conference I'd ever been to. I was in breakout sessions, and I just I was taking ferocious notes. I wrote. I, I met Nora Roberts, who's mm-hmm. one of the oldest uh, 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 romance writers. In, I mean, she's just like yeah. one of our pioneers Very in this, this genre. I met Sylvia Day. Mm-hmm. I met a dozen other writers. Um, some of these women, uh, so Nora Roberts makes about 13, 14 million a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sylvia Day got an eight-figure advance for writing her uh, uh, her to You Crossfire novel series. Mm-hmm. Shortly after, it was in response to to um, uh, uh, Fifty Shades Grey. It had just come out, mm-hmm. so. <laughs> I was meeting authors that were making a hundred grand a year, and I was meeting some that were making three, four, five million a year. Wow. Um, but I was blown away by the business. And romance sells more than every other genre combined. What was some? What was like your most profound takeaway at that conference? Something that you didn't expect to learn about romance writing. I left that conference with a takeaway of this is a business. Uh, mm-hmm. This isn't, this isn't, it's, it's, it's money. Mm-hmm. It is money. And there's a craft to it. Uh, my takeaways were this is about feeding a ferocious appetite of a very big readership mm. and they're very demanding. The client is demanding and it's a, it's a close to $2 billion a year industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the covers need to look a certain way because there's all these different subgenres mm-hmm. of romance. So, I, I, so I think my biggest takeaways were if I'm going to do this, it's not just one book. It's mm-hmm. uh, it's a book core. So that's four novels a year. So it's the, the, the takeaways were I was I was I was positively overwhelmed. <laughs> did you did you find yourself you know wondering how you were going to identify yourself as unique or your writing as unique within this space? Like, did you feel like you wanted um, to approach it differently or if you wanted to really, you know, utilize a system that has been built? Hmm. I'll answer it this way. Um, 
95% of romance is written by women. The other 5% is men either writing with their wives or romantic comedy or man on man. So gay, gay mm-hmm. romance. Um, I'm an outlier. I'm a, I'm a heterosexual, uh, <laughs> mid forties, uh, attractive male mm-hmm. writing romance. Like it just doesn't, it's just very, there's very little of that. So my, to get to your question, my take on this, the way I thought I would be different is step out in front of the brand, step out in front of the writing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, like most romance writers, it's, it's all their work. And then you go to their profiles and their Facebook pages and their Instagram pages. And it's just more pictures of their work. And there's the occasional picture of their blurred face with their cat. Right. Um, mm-hmm. I felt like I had a, a, an angle here because I'd been writing about relationships and had a lot of a, a wide uh, experience, really, or exposure, really, to what people wanted in relationships, whether it was at the bar, at church, at a club. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I would write, I would interview and write about the kind of exchanges people wanted with their with their lover or their significant other in a car, just driving down the road, like chivalry, manners. Should you open the door or not? I mean, I interviewed and talked to literally hundreds of people. And so I'd come from that space and I'm like, oh my gosh, I can use my creativity and my love for writing in a business and be out in front of the type of, the type of fictional stories that I'm writing and actually show people how to have them. Right. Good for I you. Thought, I thought that was interesting. I'm so happy you said that. I was hoping you were going to get to that. I was like, where where do we like get to cross the threshold between what's fictional and how we make it real? I love that. Well, yeah, that's a that's a dance of perception. Really. <laughs> of course. Um, yeah. What's um, your take on I mean, it? it? It's ever it's 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 everybody's individual description. Mm-hmm. Um, and when, you know, when you listen to the really pro relationship guy, uh, uh, guys, I mean, the people that have PhDs and are, mm-hmm. you know, brilliant people in the space, which by the way, is not me. Okay. <laughs> I'm just an everyday guy, right. That helps women understand men and men have better experiences with women. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and generally just be kinder to each other. Um, but you listen to the really, the really pioneers in this space mm-hmm. um, uh, there's one woman I'm thinking of and her name is Casey but I'll think of it mm-hmm. um, she speaks like seven languages and she has a podcast and she's brilliant and they all kind of say somewhat similar in that a relationship is best when, when two people define what works for them mm-hmm. and make conscious agreements and alliances around that right and mm-hmm. and with maintaining a certain amount of flexibility that those are going to need to be updated, amended, changed, along with some grace that occasionally will be broken. Mm. So, you know, they've got forgiveness. Um, but, but imagine stepping into a story that is truly beautiful, right? Uh, I like Nicholas Sparks in this space because he'll mm. say, I don't write romance. I write love stories. Right. Right. I really like that. Now I think I will thrive in the business of romance, but Nicholas Sparks is a, you know, multimillionaire writer that writes a story that makes your heart come alive. Like you learn something that you're not necessarily being taught. Mm -hmm. Um, But I like your stories because you can think I can apply that. Right. Mm -hmm. I can do that. So I'm a very, I'm a very, I'm like, like I'm, I'm very open about. Hey, I'm going to write something really hot and <laughs> steamy that that will keep you warm in bed, even mm-hmm. if you're alone, and mm-hmm. sleep well and have hot, sexy dreams. Um, but then, if you actually want to create that for yourself, mm-hmm. I got a book or a video that may help you do that if you're open. <laughs> I love it. 
Like we're escalating into cool. the excitement. I think that's the <laughs> Perfect. Okay. Well, so writing in the romance space, I'm curious to know what you what you consider to be romantic. What do I consider to be romantic? Um, What's your romantic? take on romance? Um, I, I think if you were to define romance. Uh, here, here's a kind of a different feeling I've got on the word, and somewhere I'm taking it. Um, it's a it's a feeling of excitement. It's a mystery. Uh, it's a certain amount of bedazzlement. Um, and I don't think I, I think a lot of things can be romantic. So in my I write from a perception from a from a place of romance being the best state that we can be in as a human. Mm. So, so you think about that. When you're romantic, you're present. You're aware of all the senses. You look good. You smell good. You feel good. You are in bliss. Right? It, 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 romance has been associated with sex and love. But it doesn't have to be. Right. Right? Imagine being romantic with your children. I mean, that, that, that sounds obscure, it's quite a lot, but if you are, if romance is a, is a place of presence and where you're giving adoration and you're, you're in a receptive place of positivity, you're wanting to create something beautiful, whatever that may be, could you not be romantic with your friends? Mm-hmm. Right? I have, I have some amazing amazing relationships. I'm extremely grateful for some of the relationships I have with women. And I'm very romantic with them. But I'm not sexual with them. Mm-hmm. Those are friends. We are platonic. But we will walk down the street and I will open the door for them. Uh, often while we're walking, I'll escort them. They'll, they'll, they'll put their hand on my arm. Right? It's it's an art. It's, uh, so for me, I don't necessarily think, I don't isolate romance um, to just sex and love. I, I've got a, a 20 plus year sales career. Mm-hmm. And I would coach my salespeople in the art of romancing your clients. I mean, imagine if you were sold your next product, or you bought your next product from a professional salesperson that treated you with the same qualities that romance possesses. That's beautiful. That would be, that would be bedazzled. It'd, mm-hmm. be, it'd be just, oh, you're giving them their greatest gift of all, which is presence. Yeah. It, you know what? I think that you said that so beautifully that, you know, romance is a state of being. And I like to think of it as, you know, a state of being without an agenda. You know, because I feel like romance can mm. always be ruined if there's, like, an agenda or motive in mind, you know? Yeah, and I think there's, there, you, you touched on some, there could be, you bring up something that probably has a lot of wounds for some people, mm-hmm. right? Um, it's very common. Uh, it's, it's all that, the, the, the preconceived notion that, that a man is going to be romantic for you because he wants something from you. Mm-hmm. A salesperson is going to be romantic because he wants to make the sale. I think, sure, we all have an intention, and the intention's okay, but we can go about that intention free of attachment of outcome, mm-hmm. right? Like, when I uh, when I was dating, I'd go on a date for, for with with uh, no other no other gift than curiosity, right? Or just having an open mind. Just be, <laughs> just, yeah, just mm-hmm. get to know somebody. Be present understand them right it's like seek first to understand before being understood right right um it doesn't have to be a performance but it can be an experience that betters you on every level yeah let's get in let's get into dating (laughs) i okay Okay. so i am not a fan of dating um i was divorced maybe i think it's been about four years now and, but I was with 
my ex-husband since I was, you know, around 19. So that was my, my primary, you know, young adult experience <clears throat> being in this committed single relationship and then being married and then being divorced and jumping into the dating scene maybe like after a year of healing, the climate terrified me. Like it was so terrifying. How people communicate, how people rush into things. And I was wondering, you know, what your perspective on the current dating scene is, what's wrong with it, and how we can make it better. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm happy to jump into this. You're you do realize that your question was was uh, phrased from a position that it was broken though. Right? Like, what's wrong with that? How do we make it better? (laughs) Right? So, I had an amazing smoothie this morning, and I didn't look at the smoothie and go, What's wrong with it? How can I make it better? I looked at the smoothie, I was like, Man, this is really great. I'm grateful for this smoothie, and uh, I'm looking forward to tomorrow making another one, and I may try a little more apple in this, or some cucumber, or, you know, pineapple, whatever. Uh-huh. Right. So the Calling first, so answering your question kind of indirectly, um, the first way to make dating better is to stop judging it. Mm-hmm. Stop judging it. Free yourself, not necessarily you, you personally, but but all of us. Oh, definitely and me personally. Can this be applied to anything that we've had a negative experience to? Mm-hmm. This is gonna suck. I'm gonna make it's gonna be bad. How do I survive this versus it's, it's the law of attraction. Mm-hmm. We get what we focus on. All right. Uh, I can't tell you how many how many women I've talked to who have said, where are all the good men? Like, well, your, your question doesn't give the universe opportunity to show you because what you're really saying is there are no good men. Mm-hmm. And what do you know? You keep running into men that it's just not a fit. Um, the, the way to make dating great, the way, the way to make dating great is maybe we stop using the word dating. Mm. Why don't we start using more of a phrase of adult interaction? Mm-hmm. Right? I don't date. I have adult experiences. Right? And I do that with a certain amount of tools knowing that there's a lot of adult children out there. Mm. Right? There's a lot of people I don't I don't I don't think a man gets to forty and doesn't have a little bit of brokenheartedness. Mm-hmm. Right? If he doesn't have a little bit of brokenheartedness, he's not lived fully enough. So when someone goes into a dating experience for what they can get and what they can experience versus just being open to what comes next. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know. Um, what are we setting ourselves up for? Yeah. Right? I, my, my beautiful friend, Juliet, the girl that I met, um, that experienced it, that showed me the world of romance, which, by the way, is, has now moved to Paris because all her books are, are written uh, in, in, with mm-hmm. a Paris theme. Uh, and we're still very dear friends. I just visited her a year ago, mm-hmm. uh, last March. And we had an amazing experience because I set that up to be an amazing experience. Right? right. Let, let's meet as writers. Now, I'm a very friendly guy. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with my body. I typically sit very close to people, especially a woman. Um, uh, I, I, I understand appropriate touch. And I know how to apologize when I get that wrong without it being a real downer, right? Because if I cross somebody's boundaries, I know how to fix that very quickly. Um, I feel like I'm very skilled in this area. So when I met Juliet, I sat there. We had an amazing time. Um, um, I, at the end, I said, listen, I'm so happy I met you. Uh, I, I want to be friends with you, but you need to understand something about me. And she looks at me real big like her eyes were wide and I said um you understand that this is the way I behave and this is the way and when I touch you or I talk to you 
or Eileen and I kiss you, this is me, and I'm not trying to game you or get something from you. Like, we are friends. You mm -hmm. understand that, right? And she just kind of shook her head, like, nervously. And she goes, yeah. And I go, how does that feel to you? She goes, feels great. So okay, great. So this is the way we're going to treat each other. She goes, yeah. I said, awesome. You want to connect? You want to meet up again next week? She goes, yeah. <laughs> and we've been dear friends ever since. Totally platonic. She, she said, various relationships, so have I. We are friends. We've traveled together. We talk often. So, like, that was a dating experience. Right. And you know what? I really like how, how you phrased that. Um, because I think you elevated from dating to adult interaction. So you're introducing a more mature expectation and perspective and ho therefore hopefully outcome. And then right. like how you're able to like connect with somebody on that level that feels more real and more honest and authentic, I think is just <clears throat> really beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. I, at the end of the day, uh, at the end of the day, women need to speed up and men need to slow down. Mm. Speed up, right? Men are fast. We, mm -hmm. men, women rush us into sharing our feelings and our hearts and being intimate, and men rush women into bed. Mm. One needs to speed up, the other one needs to slow down. Right. Right. And so then you're creating that oppor opportunity for that that connection, for that balance to be created, but. Right. What do you what do you do? Because I when I hear hear the story that you just shared and how you're connecting, I can't help but to feel like a little bit of terror. I'm like, oh, if some if one of my male friends, you know, had that kind of interaction with me, I feel like I would be terrified. And it's mostly because of conditioning, you know, like the the prior experience, the the process of unlearning. So how do you help women unlearn, basically? Mm, uh, I think it's we start with creating a, a new reality, right? Creating a new experience. What's your vision? What does you want to create? Do you have a list of the values that you want? Or are you just going about this randomly? Right. Right. Because if you're going about it randomly, you're probably recreating your father. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Right. Which, even okay. if you had a great father, that's not a good thing. Mm -hmm. Right. Because you're, you're not consciously creating. You're, you're creating by default. So um, the first thing I share with women is we need to do two things. We need, we need to do in their deep dives, and if they if they have to trust who they do this with, it's not a one-time experience, and and it's 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 going to be able to work. The first thing is, what's your past like? Because you can't create great experiences with men when you've got wounding from men. Mm -hmm. And every woman has had some type of non-positive, non maybe even horrific experience related to men, right? I mean, we're, we're, in a, we're in a time where that pendulum is massively swinging mm -hmm. with the Me Too movement, right? Like, evolved men right now are being very cautious. Okay, yeah. right? You look at a woman wrong, and I mean, I don't be extreme here. She, you know, you men, ruthless. <laughs> are, uh, men are, are at high risk, mm -hmm. high risk of being, of being put in court, losing their businesses, and, and they lose strictly from the accusation. They don't even have to be proven guilty. Just, just, just being looked at wrong. So, you know, women have been have been victimized from it by men for centuries, right? And so that pendulum is starting to swing uh, just in the last, gosh, what, 20 years? Mm -hmm. Maybe not even that, where women are starting to get more empowered, uh, right? We had the feminism, feminism movement from, from uh, in decades ago that kind of spiked it. Uh, and so men and women... I think we've got a lot of role confusion, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe even some gender confusion now too, with with mm -hmm. how much um, the LGBT uh, community has has come out, and 
it's confusing right now. A lot of people just don't know how to treat each other, right? What do you, mm-hmm. what do you do? And so this is a topic where a lot of people are having conversations, not of right or wrong, but just, hey, um, how do I relate to my fellow human being? Right. Where's the balance? In a landscape. Yeah. The, mm-hmm. the play the playground is totally different. Yep. Right. And so the first thing I tell women, going back to that, is you've got to heal from your experiences with men. Right? If you if you have subconscious beliefs that all men are pigs or that all men want to sex, you know, mm-hmm. it's just not gonna go well. Second one is um, we then start creating. We start creating from a place of, of positivity, which is mm-hmm. what does your ideal man look like? How do you want him to treat you? Talk to him about your ideal day. Talk to him about I don't really so much care about what he looks like because I trust that attraction is going to take care of itself. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a conversation more with men. Don't, I don't listen free of her body measurements. What do you want your woman to have? I don't want to hear about breast size. Or I don't want to hear about, mm-hmm. you know, I don't need, I don't need, that doesn't matter. You're going to be attracted to what you're attracted to. Same for women. Mm-hmm. Right. Instead, Tell me how you feel when you're with this person. And then accept that how you feel is 100% your responsibility. That's, that's, that's that, really that, transformational. That, that levels all the game playing. Mm-hmm. Because you're not looking to a man to make you feel a certain way. You've already stopped and said, I'm a, I'm a grounded woman. I'm this, I'm that, I am whatever resonates with you. Mm-hmm. I, I've done all my forgiveness work with men, right? And let me tell you, I've done forgiveness women's work with women mm-hmm. who've been through heinous crimes, like rape, horrific, horrific experiences, and have fully forgiven men and have done, done significant work there. Uh, uh, and have forgiven the gender, right? Mm-hmm. But to forgive men is a race, right? Not just not just your attacker right. or your abuser. Um, start there, then you can positively, from a place of wholeness, create how it is you want to feel when you're with somebody, which is really not all that uh, pioneering. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, you do the same thing with a job. You can do the same right. thing with the car you drive. But you know, how do you feel when you're when you're experiencing life? And then create from that. Yes, I love it. You know, I love it. That's probably my most favorite part about you know an evolved relationship when you get to that place with a person where you're creating something. You know, it reminds me mm-hmm. of. Um, I don't know, I just love how, like, the masculine and feminine energies, like, come together and dance and, like, really understand their role and, like, what they're doing in the creation process. And it, have you seen the movie Chocolat? It's, like, Johnny Depp, um, based in, in France. But in this movie, there's this, like, really small scene that I'm in love with, and it's where, you know, Johnny Depp and the men are playing music for the women to dance in and like oh that's so cool you know how the masculine energy is providing this medium for the female energy to like express herself and I feel like that's you know a really cool relationship goal Mm -hmm. for sure for sure what what movie was it did you say it was oh chocolate oh chocolate of course yeah yeah yeah, of course yeah (laughs) yeah yeah, uh, there's a lot of hidden messages in that movie. Oh, right. Um, yeah, it's uh, a good one. It's a good rainy day movie. <laughs> well, mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm. I def- there's one last thing that I really want to hear your perspective on. It's um, the idea between, you know, being very, very Disney and, like, Hollywood ruining romance. So would you like to speak a little bit um, on that? On and I'll make sure I heard you right, on the intersection between Hollywood romance and real romance? Yes. Okay. Uh, well, I'd have to go back to your original question, which is how do you define romance? <laughs> right? 
right? So, um, I, I, well, you said the movie Chocolat, right? Mm-hmm. Well, the chocolate. You love chocolate, but you can't live on it. Mm. Could Hollywood romance be like that? Could it be the top two percent? You know, the jet fuel of romance that we look to to step in and experience. Right. Can We're not going to create a steady diet of it because why? Not because it's bad. Just like chocolate's not bad. You just can't live on it. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think the intersection between Hollywood romance and real romance is motivation. Right. It's motivation. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I'm a, I'm a fan, for example, of, of, uh, uh, Indy car racing, like formula one racing. I mm-hmm. think it's cool. It's fast. It's high intensity. It's a very wealthy sport. But one of the things I find that's truly fascinating about that sport is that most of the vehicles that we drive, we drive in everyday life, the technology was versed from formula one racing, meaning that it's so intense. Like they spend millions of dollars to shave one second off their time. One second. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a it's a sport that's done in milliseconds. Right? But from that we get basic technology that improves our, our vehicles, makes them safer, makes them more fuel efficient, makes them brake faster, mm-hmm. right? Regenerative braking was pioneered in Formula One racing. And now we have cars that when you back off the gas, they brake themselves. That came from Formula One racing. So Mm. let me tie this together. (laughs) Like, Robin, why are you talking about racing? Because the same analogy could be true of Hollywood romances. I mean, you you go into a movie that truly inspires you and is truly beautiful. And yeah, maybe it's completely sappy and totally unrealistic. And you never see them shower. You never see them go to the bathroom or make dinner. Everything's just automatically done. The clothes are perfect. The food is, is perfect. They just sit down to a meal. It's like, how'd that meal get there? Right? They toast each other with wine. It's like, you didn't see the guy wrestle with the cork and it break and him have to fish out some of the, the corks in the wine that you know that happens right mm-hmm. um people do people do stuff like that you don't ever see them sneeze or or miss the chair when they sit down they you never see any of that human stuff mm-hmm. you only see the top 10 percent where people hollywood producers are spending millions of dollars to shave off that one second mm-hmm. of everyday life they put all kinds of beautiful lighting and makeup and, and story and experiences so that you, Chrissy, you, America, you, human, can sit and see that experience and just go, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. But the lesson is you can't live like that just like you can't drive a Formula One race car every day, just like you can't sustain a diet of chocolate. <laughs> but it sure makes life beautiful. It does, yeah, and that, I think, like, where my mind is having trouble with this is, like, oh, but we want the fairy tale, you know, like, we want that, but then we also have to, like, balance that out with our expectations around real life, you know, being practical, but I think that that desire of, like, wanting that fairy tale of having that beautiful experience could also lead to, you know, adopting a pessimistic view of, of love and relationships because of the dichotomy between that and like real life. So I think where I'm struggling is like, you know, is it better to believe in the fairy tale to desire it or to just accept that that's what that is and not what we have in our real life? I, I, my, my impression, my opinion on this is women, especially Mm -hmm. when I'm going to say this to the women, Women, when you don't believe in the fairy tale, like just a little bit, give me mm-hmm. a, couple, a couple percentage points, mm-hmm. right? Give me 
if you don't believe in the fairy tale, at least by ten percent, you become hardened. Mm-hmm. You start you start operating from your head mm-hmm. versus your heart, and you start you stop doing all the things. I was going to say that makes you woman, but instead, I'm going to say doing all the things that nurtures your femininity. Mm-hmm. Right? Those are the things. It's like, it's like. Listen, I know you can open the door by yourself. I know you don't need me to open the door. You're perfectly capable to lift that twenty pound box or carry that Amazon package up to your apartment. You don't need me. But when you allow me to, when you step out like a queen and allow yourself to be served by a man who just either one he finds you charming. Or he himself, he's just being who he is. You nurture your femininity. You become more relatable. You become a source of healing. You become a source of pride that that men can can serve you and create safe places for for you to be gentle, mm-hmm. fragile. Choose. You're choosing to be that. You're not. You're not less than, right? And when men, I'll speak to the men now. When men allow themselves to step into a little bit of fairy tale, they become chivalrous.、Mm. And when a man is chivalrous, he makes money. He's respectful. He's kinder. He's more intelligent, and he's a lot sexier. I will not、so、disagree with that. That's so beautiful. I love talking to you. This has been such a fun conversation. I really love your your perspective and your take.、Um, yeah, you're welcome. On, on romance. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for thanks for listening, and、mm-hmm. I, I find it a privilege to 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 be here and, and to talk with you. I I think we need to be having more conversations like this for sure because、oh, it's it's changing times. It's changing times. Thank you again, Robin. It was really great to hear your take on romance, and I personally find it incredibly admirable that you are an outstanding outlier in a field predominantly occupied by women. Robin's newest novel, Lovers in the Woods, will be coming out soon, and you can find out more about him and his work on his website, robinaustinreed.com, or as always on theprismaticlife.com. Now, those who know me. Definitely know that I'm a fan of exploring the many facets of relationships and how we connect to one another, and the topics of romance and intimacy are absolutely not excluded. I love reaching into deeper levels of heart-centered communication and how we express it in our daily lives. A few takeaways in this conversation for me were definitely all about that resistance, and I really enjoyed Robin's approach and perspective on what it means to make a connection and how to nurture it. I also really loved his take on the dichotomy between Hollywood romance and real life romance, and how maybe it really is better to buy in and believe that you can truly have an incredible experience, especially when you set the right expectations. It reminds me a bit of Pascal's Wager, who philosophizes that whether or not there truly is a God, a heaven, and a hell, it's better to believe that there is, because if you don't, you risk being wrong and sent to eternal damnation. But if you do, Whether God exists or not, you either get to enjoy the fruits of heaven, or at the very least, you end up being a person who follows devout laws of kindness, charity, and forgiveness. He wagers that one perhaps would have a great existence no matter what, should you choose to believe. With that and religious philosophy aside, I'd love to know your thoughts on this episode. How will you be approaching your relationships now with this new perspective? And how will you cultivate more romance in your life, both for yourself and whomever you're connecting with? As always, please like, share, and subscribe, and feel free to leave your comments on the Prismatic Academy Facebook page or on theprismaticlife.com. Until next time, cheers, everyone.